it's my absolute pleasure to have our guest Max Noir join us who's joining us from the African continent this evening but looking at your CV you kind of travel to lots of interesting places so Max welcome to Building New Realities. Thanks so much it's great to be here. Hey thank you yes yeah, so, yeah I, I, a friend of ours uh, mutual contact sort of put us put us in contact and yeah I had a look at you know, obviously what you've been up to and, you know, really, really interesting uh, work that you've been doing to date. So, I mean, I guess if we if we start with your work at, at FXG and 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 really what your role was there and how it kind of led into your, your, your current position. Sure. So it's a bit of an interesting journey. Um, it started out when I was living in China. I actually got the job with FXG to be their social media manager. And after about two years, I had to move back to New York City for personal reasons. So we decided to fulfill a long-term dream of FXG, which was to open in a, a branch in the US. So I started working on that, uh, became the regional director of FXG uh, US branch. And then throughout COVID, I woke up one day and kind of realized I was losing my mind <laughs> living in the middle of the forest in Pennsylvania. So I decided to get on a plane and go to Uganda. And uh, long story short, I realized how much potential and need there is in pretty much every sector for immersive technology here. So I sort of just spearheaded uh, the opening of a new branch in Uganda, and that's where I'm at now. So mostly business development focused in Uganda. And FXG originally are a, a Chinese company. Yes, yeah, yeah, we're based in Hangzhou, China. And what took you out to what to China originally? Because obviously you went out there before you started working with FXG. What was what was the path to to head over there? Yeah, I was a student. I was uh, I was in university uh third and fourth year i was studying there all right okay so it was like a natural evolution of of your course kind of put yeah. you over there and just yeah. for a bit of context a bit of background what was the kind of work you were doing at fxg yeah i, I mean i know you were media. sorry i know you were doing business development but the company um as itself wow. what, what's kind of its main product yeah, so our main product is virtual reality content creation in the uh, terms of 360 video. That's what we mainly do. So we have proprietary cameras, 360 cameras, 180 cameras, also proprietary uh, stitching and post-production softwares. So that's our main focus is 360 video. And then occasionally we do VR app development, AR app development. And then we also, have a volumetric capture studio, which is like basically our playground. And then lastly, we help uh, international XR uh, companies, whether it's an indie developer of a game or it's a full on hardware manufacturer, we help them enter the Chinese market and kind of, you know, anything that they need in order to sell their product to that side of the world. So, so originally FXG sort of came from the hardware side then if they were building their their own 360 cameras and obviously software if they were building their own stitching tech as well yes uh, uh, what's the what's the volumetric rig like to play with oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> um i can't speak so much on that because unfortunately they built that after i left china so i've never gotten to have fun but uh, uh they do mostly outside in using sony 
what model Sony, I want to say RX, something like that, uh, model cameras to, to do bulk ops. So that's, that's basically the extent of my knowledge there. Yeah, there's quite a lot of interesting stuff having with, with volumetric. One of the projects we've been working on is like a sort of social immersive sports place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking at doing some volumetric capture around kind of combat sports because they're a, a good size for it, you know, they're like in a you know, four metre by four metre ring, mm. you know, rather than trying to do volumetric capture at very big spaces. And the need for lots of AI to fill in on the occlusion, because mm. uh, obviously with combat sports, there's lots of overlapping and uh, bits like that. So, yeah, sure. an, an interesting area. And, and I also note, as, as well as working at FXG, you're, you're, you're working with some local talent in Uganda. Beanie Gunter and Gun Talk. Yes. <laughs> that sounds fun. It's very fun, very exciting. <laughs> yeah, so um, Beanie Gunter, he's one of the most prominent Ugandan musicians focusing on dancehall music. So he's also quite popular in Jamaica. Um, for those who don't know, dance hall is like one of the biggest genres of music born out of Jamaica. So he's kind of doing something very different than typical Ugandan uh, popular music. Um, Gun Talk is this, the name that he's sort of branded to the community of people who he has, who follow his music, who follow his journey. And it's also the name of his official company where we're bringing in tons of different types of businesses and including different sectors of everything to, to both uh, strengthen his community around the music, but also he's very interested in business, entrepreneurship, agriculture, fashion. So we're basically trying to grow his brand to supersede music in every possible way. Cool. Well, let's talk about your, your your business interests or your exposure to the commercial world in Uganda. And uh, it, was, it was FXG that took you over there. And then, yeah, tell me a little bit about, you know, your XR journey and, and perhaps the XR journey that you're, you're, you're currently uh, experiencing in Uganda. Sure. So should I should I start before? Yeah. Before Uganda? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lead it. Lead us. Okay, Take cool. us on a journey. Yeah, cool. So um, trying to calculate how many years back this was, which is kind of, I feel like I've lost uh, the ability to keep track of time. But let me say six to seven years ago, I was studying in Italy. And uh, I randomly <laughs> would, uh, kind of received the opportunity to take an augmented reality course uh, back when it was like still very you know, AR was something no one really knew about mostly. And a lot of it was just like simple image targets and image tracking. And it wasn't so much like software development as much yet. So it was just using like a image tracking application on my smartphone. But I took the class and I just like fell in love with AR. It was my introduction. And then I made like an AR book. <laughs> And uh, next year, I ended up in China for my next uh, year of university. While I was there, we had the opportunity to hold a student's uh, art exhibition, which was very exciting for me. So I, I made a bunch of what I like to call Harry Potter portraits. <laughs> so I started taking like videos of people, but telling them to be quite still 
in the videos and then printing out a still in the beginning of that video doing the image tracking thing with the application and then you know people would look at the picture hanging on the wall it would come to life like harry potter mm -hmm. um and people just fell in love with it they thought it was magic because no one knew what ar was yet so that was kind of how i fell in love um, with immersive technology flash forward a few months this uh, job application randomly landed in my lap and it felt like fate. So that was the, the application for social media manager at FXG. So I've kind of uh, already taken you on my FXG journey. I came to Uganda on my own, totally irrelevant to FXG. It was during lockdown. Um, my business development in the States was incredibly stunted as it was for most people. And I was like, you know, I can do my meetings from anywhere. I mm. can't meet anyone. So mm. might as well go to Uganda. <laughs> um, I met a lot of Ugandan uh, and East African people while I was in China. It was like mm. most of my community, to my surprise, ended up being East Africans, which is not mm. what I expected, mm. but that's what it ended up being like. So Uganda became very, very high on my radar and like list of places to go. So I ended up going to Uganda. It was supposed to be a one month vacation. I was going to go on safaris, see where my friends come from. And about three weeks into that journey, uh, my friends who used to work with me in China at the VR company, but he's Ugandan, we were sitting down together and he basically told me like, I wish I could still work in virtual reality, but it's just not here yet. There are no jobs. So I was like, okay, well, I'm here for one more week. So what can we do that's small that could maybe help a little bit? So that day I tweeted asking the XR community if anyone could donate extra headsets, VR headsets, AR headsets that they weren't utilizing to artists and developers here in Uganda. And, you know, we were expecting to maybe get like three, but it ended up kind of exploding and we ended up getting like around 50 plus VR, AR, MR, like every generation from like DK1 headset all the way up to like a Quest 2 HoloLens, like the whole thing. Then companies like UNICEF, Snapchat, like started reaching out to me asking like, how can we support? And so that day it became very clear to me that I couldn't leave in a week. <laughs> so I canceled my flight and I've been here for a year, a little bit over a year now trying my very best to build an XR ecosystem literally from the ground up. <laughs> wow, single-handed mission. <laughs> That's great to I hear. I had some small help, but I could use more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what, what a great story. So initially you were drawn out there because your friends were out there, like the people you'd met on your travels and work and gravitated to or came from Uganda. Uh, yeah yeah well what a great reason to go traveling right to, to somewhere that's a bit unknown but you kind of know you've got friends there really exciting yeah. space that's right yeah lovely evolution and and good to see that the the outreach helped um uh, you know I, I've actually I have actually haven't been back into our office really since pandemic it's like in my calendar next week so like okay I've got to go back into the office and I've chipped in there occasionally to have to restart roosters and stuff but it's a bit like the Mary Celeste so I'm sure we'll find like a couple of VR headsets we can send you away. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. So so in terms of sort of with, with that community, I mean, because obviously we get a lot of support 
like in the UK, I'm sure you probably get the same in, in, in the States and, and, and high tech centers that you probably, you know, anything in academia or university, you know, there's like an innovation lab and there's a hub and there's loads of resources. And it's mainly about putting people together. The assumption being that they've already personally got a fairly good level of kit. And then those places supply or give out, you know, they give access uh, mm. to kit. So are you sort of trying to sort of replicate that model, that model and how, and how is sort of development of the ecosystem going? Presumably it's kind of through like the friend group really, but yeah. is, you know, is there like monthly meetups or, you know, how, how, how's mm. that sort of going? Yeah, I'll be very transparent. It's been very difficult and very slow. Hmm. Um, a lot more slow, of course, than we would have liked it to be. Um, I think we spent a lot of time at the beginning, like maybe our first six months of work, we, we were spending working with the government, um, specifically the Ministry of ICT, uh, Information Communication Technology. Um, but <laughs> the issue is, okay, uh, Uganda, especially in the last couple of years, their governmental manifestos have been very, very, very focused on innovation supporting innovations that will uplift the country. But I would say that uh, due to certain setbacks um, where I am in Uganda, as opposed to where things are at home in the US, those innovations are focused on very different things and we our programs may be focusing uh, elsewhere. So a lot of these programs, they have to do with, you know, agriculture, they have to do with trying to get Wi-Fi more readily available to more people, things like that. Uh, so even in these programs in the universities of like software development and whatnot, uh, they're not really touching anything mm -hmm. close to AR, VR development. Um, the amount of headsets that are existing in the countries, you know exceptionally rare so um we've had a lot of excitement from the government but not a lot of follow-through so i think what we realized after spending quite a lot of time and energy trying to get uh, support from the government we actually realized that it's uh quicker and more successful if we start targeting the entertainment industry the music the arts where it's filled with you know youths who are very open-minded to new innovations, new ways to get their art out to the world, the international community, and just like more open-minded to embracing new things. And if we were able to succeed there in a good way, somehow the government would follow later on. Yeah, that it's makes- a difficult journey. <laughs> yeah, well, none of this is easy, right? And it always takes longer than you, than you yeah. think it's going to. But I think what you just said makes a lot of sense, right? If you've got, young talent and artists who are already building stuff or they want to shoot a promo for a track then you and you shot you know you shoot that with 360 or 180 it's mm -hmm. it's going to be a much quicker route to creating content than actually trying to build an experience from the ground up which we you know we all know kind of how involved and how long that takes and the sort of depth of experience you need whereas you know mm -hmm. you set up a good promo that everyone kind of understands okay, we're going to shoot these 10 scenes for this song or for this art installation, whatever. Everyone kind of gets that. And then you throw in the 360 angle, which obviously you're experienced with, 
uh, it's a bit, bit of a quicker route to getting some bits out rather than yeah. coming, coming up against the stumbling block of, of not having developer talent. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, just, a, just to go into so your broader experience, what are your sort of favourite types of VR experiences? What, what have you enjoyed? What do you like? Okay, I'll, I'll go from a gaming standpoint and then also from, you know, a standpoint of passion. So um, I have probably the same favorite games as like almost everyone. I love Beat Saber and I love Super Hot. Um, those are two games I feel like I could just play forever. They make me feel good. Uh, I feel like I'm tricked into exercising. <laughs> um, but I'm also someone who really enjoys experiences that are related to social impact, um, especially experiences that uh, enable me to maybe see a perspective that is impossible for me to see, something that puts me in different body, different uh, person's world and tells a story. So those, those story-oriented experiences that kind of get you to think in new ways that are that you know might otherwise be hard for you to think in and do any of those particularly leap out of the sort of latter category that you've really enjoyed yeah um i really enjoyed traveling while black mm -hmm. that was a really important one and then sutu uh, i can't I'm, I'm failing to remember who else was on that project, but I know Sutu was involved. What was the name of it? Um, oh, I'm losing it. <laughs> ah, <laughs> I've lost the name of it, so I'll just I'll stick with uh, with traveling while black. Stick with that one. Yeah. Yeah, let's stick with that one. Yeah, there's been a sort of number of those, um, you know, whether it's from a refugee's point of view or whether it's being uh, blind, um, you know, having your sort of senses uh, reduced um, as well as sort of the, the refugee ones. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very powerful. Um, so, yeah, sort of looking more broadly, uh, how, how interested are you like in the sort of conversations that have been come to the fore in the like the last 18 months around you know you know metaverse and what does that mean to you do you just kind of brush it off as a hype term what, what how do you respond to to that <laughs> yeah i have a lot of mixed emotions um i've been trying to find like an analogy that i feel like um you know like a real world example from history that i can kind of use to compare to metaverse. And I feel like the best thing I've been able to come up with is globalization, hmm. which in my opinion has its very positive sides and also it has negative consequences sometimes hmm. too. And I'm looking at metaverse as sort of the, the globalization of the future in the digital hmm. world. So <laughs> it's a way to connect, um, everything when i say everything though i guess i'm you know everything that is uh accessible <laughs> everything that's able to be included and able to access the metaverse and whatever exactly that is or what it's formulating into 
but yeah, I guess it's like the accumulation of everything that is the the digital realm. And that, I mean, that's how I look at it. And my opinion, just like globalization, like when you start connecting literally everything and people end up having much easier access to things that might be difficult to access without, you have free, uh, you have free movement of ideas. You have people uh, broadening perspectives, which brings probably faster and stronger innovations, the ability to learn. Um, but then of course, it can also have its negative ramifications depending on how people decide to use it and what ideas they decide that they want to spread. <laughs> I think that's a, the really, that's a really nice touch is looking at it with the sort of scale and impact of a term like globalization, but the key phrase is unintended consequences. Because right? <laughs> human nature yeah. is just like to run everything like, woo, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> without thinking about it and just like do, do, do. Unintended mm -hmm. consequences is sort of the, the byline of the human experience. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, I've been sort of reflecting on it a little bit and there's there's another word with a double T, M-E-T-T-A, meta, which uh, sort of generally means like kindness or, or doing well. It's like a sort of meditation thing. Mm -hmm. And um, the metaverse with two Ts, right, is like the sort of... Sounds uh, good. <laughs> it's the much less... Uh, glamorous yeah. exciting tech orientated but is a but is a really i really like it as a as a as a as a, as a concept right this sort of the uh the the interlinking of things via this unseen kindness it's much quieter and less shouty than the single t um yeah there's less threatening and less ominous yeah it feels kind of more like Hmm, interesting yeah <laughs> something like that the mushrooms are up to um cool yeah well that's a really interesting point that you put there well while we're on it then what do you think about nfts <laughs> yeah. yeah um another good one <laughs> um again i have mixed emotions um personally like I hope my friends who are like NFT creators don't see this, but <laughs> <laughs> like personally, I just don't get them as yeah. like someone. It, okay, I'm not really a big art collector, period. Mm -hmm. um, I really respect art. Maybe it's because I'm a bit broke. That's probably why if I had mm -hmm. money. I'd probably collect art. But <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, I feel like I just don't, I don't really get it. Um, I, I, I've still failed after all of these years of like working in the industry to really understand why I would want to own a digital artwork outside of making money and like, you know, trading it. Yeah, later. there's like the speculation um, angle, which is like, okay, yeah, yeah, some people buy art for commercial speculative reasons. And that's one reason yeah. that's never put as the number one reason. You know. Right. <laughs> it's art. Yeah. It's art, man. Like, my art, I want it to be like in my home. Yeah. And not in my hard drive. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Um, yeah, I've definitely failed to understand it from that point outside of the standpoint of like investment. But, you know, if it's just about investment, I would much rather uh, buy it. Well, like, that makes real sense, estate. right? Yeah, yeah. You understand, you understand it if someone's going to do, yeah. say, it's for speculative financial investment. Okay, cool. Right. Well, yeah, like, I think you've answered what you think about NFTs. Um, but, uh, sorry, I just want to add, <laughs> like, I would, like, I think from a positive side as well, I'd like to recognize how nfts have the ability to help uh artists who maybe like okay for example in uganda there's so many amazing talented artists but they don't have an easy time broadening their platforms getting their name out there to people who can buy their pieces abroad and like you know make a massive difference in the life of the artist so mm-hmm. i do believe that you know with the right marketing awareness and you know the ability to like use twitter and clubhouse like an nft has the ability to change the life of someone who might be selling their paintings on the side of the road or something yeah agreed i think wi-fi i think for people who are talented who are talented artists and who uh are are creating then fantastic right because if you're an artist and you can make that stuff and you then have the ability to if you want to get involved in the the sort of the selling process which you know requires effort and it's sort of yeah twitter and social media channel based then you know all power to you i think giving people that you just described sort of you know very talented artists who but who are finding difficult to get a foothold it's it's Mm -hmm. it's another channel but on a global scale which kind of which is exciting you know because there are incredibly talented artists who don't get the props yeah they deserve or you know they might get in a gallery for a bit and then get booted um you know again if you know but it's it's quite difficult sometimes because you know the the mindset you know if you've got a mindset of an artist who creates great art to then also take that mindset into uh, the, you know the sort of the 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 selling process on social media, um, but it'll it'll work for some some people. So I think yeah, empowering artists is is really great. Yeah. I mean, one of the terms you hear sort of thrown around is like the utility, um, which just seems to be a nonsense, doesn't it? I've seen you know a, a, a couple of months ago, I don't know if it was South by Southwest, and it was like, okay, here's here's the utility. It's the after party with Paris Hilton. It's like Jesus, you know, shoot me now. Uh, I've had a, f- a friend of mine's doing a, a, a range, and he's called he's called he's an NFT collector, um, but he's doing a range called Futility, um, which seems to be kind of more to the point. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Briefly skirting over uh, NFTs, uh, well, I think we've chatted about them. Um, yeah, t- tell me about a project that's changed your approach to to the field. Tell me that about a project that, that's either changed your approach because of the technical requirement, because of it, of it, or perhaps because of the sort of the the, the social aspect that you saw as, as the outcome. Mm. Okay. Um, I leaded a project for an organization called Hope for Haiti. Um, They're based in Haiti, but also Florida. 
So what we did was we built, this was a bit outside of our company, you know, our usual realm of 360 videos. We built them a VR app, like a standalone app, which was like a small, cute, like island world multiplayer, um, little mini Haiti where we created a schoolhouse that was like directly replicated after the blueprints of a real school that the organization had built. And, you know, we made a little island uh, available for exploration with a waterfall that's famous in Haiti and you know, lots of cute animals. And it was just, it was a very sweet app. And we also incorporated NFTs this was, I, I think last summer was when we launched this. So we got a bunch of NFT artists involved who donated uh, artworks. Um, so we had three classrooms in the schoolhouse. So the first classroom was meant for like a kind of a speech room. So we held a couple of like uh, public meetups. So we would usually start in that first classroom and then Hope for Haiti uh, staff would kind of give like an overview of the organization, the project that they're currently trying to fund. Classroom two is kind of like a gallery of Hope for Haiti's work with information about their different programs, things like that. And then the third classroom was an NFT gallery that was full of the pieces that were donated. So this was interesting. It was like a, in my opinion, it was a very fresh take on how to utilize uh, the metaverse for, <laughs> for perhaps it was the perhaps it was the double T metaverse though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T T A. Yeah, let's go with that one. <laughs> the meta verse. Yeah. Um, for social impact and uh, raising awareness, and also, uh, you know, an interesting way to to utilize NFTs for social impact as well. So it was this thing that transported, you know, from. Twitter uh, Twitter spaces auctions into like an actual virtual reality application where we had meetups and that yeah I would say like that just that changed my perspectives on how like NGOs nonprofits and, and organizations like that can kind of involve themselves more in the metaverse because I mean you know we always talk about VR as like the empathy machine which is kind of annoying but honestly mm. like I'm really I'm really for it and I really like agree with it when when real, real, real research is put in mm. to a project. Um, so the ability to kind of put someone inside of a space that would be very hard or it would just be way too many steps uh, for us to put them into that space in real life, mm. trying to activate them to get involved in a project or to donate funds to something important. Um, yeah, that was sort of like a new style of use case mm. that I was and, and how did you te te technically execute that was it standalone app or did you build yeah, it was a standalone up, app right that you guys built up from the ground up or did you use ground another up. existing platform okay yeah, yeah ground up it's on side quest go get it <laughs> all right I'm gonna have a look for that what's it what's it called hope for hope hope, hope for Haiti hope for Haiti on side quest all right cool yeah, and as a result, um, ah, what's his name? What's uh, blanking on so much today? What's the the that big investor, one of the richest investors in the world? 
who always gives advice on making. Oh, investments. Bill Gates. No. Warren Buffett. Yes. Uh, Warren Buffett's daughter or granddaughter, uh, who is an NFT uh, artist, ended up getting in touch with uh, Hope for Haiti as a result about donating one of her coins, which typically go for about $50,000. Not mm-hmm. exactly sure whatever happened with that, but the connection alone was very valuable to them. Mm-hmm. So I think just like when it comes to nonprofits and NGOs, some people get very involved, but I would say most people, even when they have money to give, they kind of just like get, I don't know. I just, I feel like people get like fatigued about charity work for some reason, or they just mm-hmm. feel like they don't have energy for it. And so when you connect something like an NGO to like the new big thing that everyone's mm. crazy about in technology, it kind of like revitalizes this energy in people to give, mm. which I think is really cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, that's uh, that probably ties into a little bit like, you know, it's like you're saying with the empathy side and just perhaps feeling a little bit of a of a closer close connection to the end destination for their contribution you know if you're if the hope for haiti experience kind of replicated some of the environments from haiti and made people feel a little bit closer to where their their money or effort might be going perhaps it's a, an easier link for for people to make rather than just being approached by professional fundraisers yeah and what are you what are you curious about now kind of outside of your I mean obviously you've touched on a lot of sort of very cutting edge stuff but is there is there anything you're particularly curious about or is the intersection of any of the bits we've talked about kind of you know have you where, where's your sense of your of your radar for the next six 12 18 months yeah um I've been thinking a lot lately about training training programs uh, in VR, it's not new, but living in East Africa, there is a lot of work to be done in development, different sectors, you can use agriculture as an example. Um, Farms everywhere, sometimes with really sustainable, innovative uh, farming methodologies, sometimes with very unsustainable um methodologies and you know there are plenty of government funded workshops and whatnot um, that can kind of train farmers on how they can you know yield better crops make more money better sustain themselves with their resources but if you don't get the training and the you know the timing of the training then it's kind of just lost to you So I've been thinking a lot about like the need for virtual trainings uh, in places where, you know, VR equipment is the least accessible Mm. and how important it is for us to get it in those places. Because if you can build training programs for very, very important things like growing food, you know, Mm. (laughs) human needs, and you don't have to keep paying trainers over and over again mm. to come train. And then you know, the efficiency gets boosted because the people get to actually try what they're learning to do instead of doing classroom style, you know, memorize, figure it out on your own later. 
mm. style of teaching, which we all know is not very effective, but giving them the hands-on version um, and enabling them to do it as many times as they need to until they really get it. Um, so that's where my head's been at. <laughs> Especially Uganda, like they, they discovered a ton of oil mm. and then they all like, very recently i think in the last couple of years so they're in the process of building like a massive oil refinery which is you know pretty new for uganda and then they also recently legalized um uh, medical marijuana for export only mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of funny but like will make them a ton of money which is great mm. but those two things are happening kind of at the same time, which is going to dramatically boost the Ugandan economy. And I've just been like racking my brain about how great it would be if they incorporated VR training programs into both of those new projects, how much more efficient everything could be. So. Mm. Well, I guess the, the, the oil refinery one is always going to be driven by, you know, some big petroleum company, right? It sounds like you've got a mix of like, that's like very typical corporate stuff. Like the mm. the uh, the cannabis farms could be more kind of mid-sized business, but then you've got the other mm. kind of issue of just teaching people how to farm more effectively, and whether that's how to do irrigation or plant crops or you know whatever it is. Um, you know, it feels like you can have really big impact on that one, but of course, it's getting devices to the people you still you still got to yeah. do some kind of like you know official training program uh you yeah. know and and support to follow up uh, yeah. as whereas if there's oil and a big refinery involved you know whoever's involved with that you know will, will will make you know maybe take care of it or maybe use vr that will be their choice mm-hmm. um you know that sounds like just trying to negotiate a normal kind of corporate training deal but the, the the midsize and the and and the individuals like the small holdings, you know, if you could see, if you could make small holdings more efficient uh, in terms of their growing practices, that would be really rewarding. And I'm sure there's kind of like five, six, seven key things, right, which yeah. would be irrigation or you know planting depths, so, you know, I'm not, or whatever it is that that would be interesting to 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 help with. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So sort of. Uh, Shifting a, a, a little bit um, into a, a sort of more, more more socially, although we've been talking about a lot of social stuff. Uh, if you could have a billboard with any message written on it, what would that be? There's <laughs> um, some good thoughts. Yeah, we'll kind of... Oh, I, I mean, should specify, with anything on it to help build a new reality, what would it be uh, and why? Does it have to be like a, an exact sentence or can I give you like a concept? Give me a concept. <laughs> cool. Could even be come back later when I finish this concept. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll kind of go back to like towards the beginning of the conversation where I was talking about how we've been trying to activate like the the artistic community in Uganda first um, as a new strategy. I would love to do a billboard that makes it very easy for anyone who 
has maybe never even heard of AR VR to understand the importance of connecting art with technology. Hmm. So one thing I've you know, maybe a use case I could give is I've been working with uh, this very prominent, he's like, he's the most prominent fashion designer in Uganda about making uh, an AR uh, or like a snap lens, making like a unique cap that's in his brand style, but then turning it into a snap lens. And it would be like the first thing, anything like that in this country, it would be magical for everyone. And he would make like crazy amounts of sales. He already has billboards like all over the city. So I say he's a big player then. Big, big, big player. And he hosts like this annual fashion award show in December where like celebrities from all around Africa, like fly in for this fashion award show. It's like a very big production. And so we would love to like launch, you know, a snap lens during this production December. So we've been working on that, but to find a way of like creating a billboard of his products that is able to explain to people, okay, everyone uses Snapchat in Uganda. It's like one of the most used social platforms. So to kind of show them like, it's a hat, but you can actually buy it, but you can snap it. And it would, you know, it would make his hat go viral and make sales and people would get it and they'd understand like, wow, I can do this with the art I make or the fashion or the music. I just feel like it would help expand everyone's imagination, uh, you know, into a more technological way of thinking, which the second you're given a, a, a way, to expand the way that you think about possibilities, you start thinking about them. <laughs> well, that 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 seems like a, a a a real good suggestion. Basically, like a billboard, but that it's got an AR functionality to it, right? So you're not going to be constricted to like the image or text that appears on it. But you're going to go a little bit wider. All right. Secondly, if you had a hundred million dollars to spend on a social program. With no red tape, how would you spend it? Yeah, I would probably identify some key players in different third world countries around the world, but like spread out mm. so that we can kind of bridge more into mm -hmm. the middle <laughs> mm. um, for funding innovation labs that are specifically about immersive technology development. Mm -hmm. um yeah again those are the places that need it the most and can utilize it the best and like i just said once you are given kind of like a i'm gonna say like a gateway idea mm. that never has come across your mind before it suddenly spreads like wildfire so yeah and, and, actually, dudes. <laughs> and actually that hundred that hundred million uh is the kind of money that's been spent in the uk or the us on those types of innovation hubs so actually yeah you just yeah. like bang need to put those innovation hubs that everyone else has got in place yeah by the way let me know if you know anyone who would want to give me a hundred thousand dollars to build an innovation hub in Uganda. <laughs> well i keep my eye open because on the innovate uk funding they quite often come up with outreach you know with other countries um, they just had one with South Korea, uh, you know, so if one comes up for, for Africa, it's the, it's the kind of thing 
you know, they're, they're, they're looking for the right applications. Absolutely. And finally, or second, penultimately, it's only good book recommendations. Book. Yeah. I don't Which read. Could, could, you don't read, okay. <laughs> I have like, <laughs> I had like chronic Lyme disease for 10 years so right. like one day I woke up and I literally couldn't read anymore like I oh, well, you, you couldn't focus on the page no it was like a I had cognitive decline disorder as a result I lost 21 IQ points right. overnight and I would like read the same sentence like a hundred times and still not retain it so, right, right. So reading. I'm cured now, but yeah, I actually got cured of the disease after 10 years, but like kind of just forgot about reading. Yeah. yeah. As a result. That makes sense. When, when, how, when did you get cured of that? When did that resolve itself? Now, that must have been, I think it was during lockdown, like at it must have been towards the beginning of lockdown that I got the call. So I don't really know where that puts us, maybe like three years. Right, ago, right. Okay, but it was 10, like years, 10 years before that. So that's a big, big chunk of time. Yeah, during my most developmental years. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, that's resolved. That sounds like an entirely other conversation about uh, the challenges of, of that. Um, but anyway, maybe maybe you have a favourite theory. Like I have a favourite theory uh, called Solomon's Paradox, where it's basically easier to give other people good advice than yourself. Do you have any yeah. uh, theories or kind of observations <laughs> or rule of thumbs, you know? Totally. Yeah. Totally. It, I hope it, you don't perceive it with a negative connotation, but <laughs> I, like, I like to say that we're all sheep. Hmm. Human beings are all sheep. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we follow most of the time mm -hmm. to keep ourselves feeling safe and mm -hmm. comfortable. Mm -hmm. But uh, the second you can kind of wrap your head around the truth of that, and the truth mm. in that it becomes a lot easier to break yourself away mm. and to be brave when you need to be brave mm. but yeah I think just psychologically humans are sheep and you use that to just kind of check yourself on your own actions right a bit like saying totally a bit like saying we're all gonna die you know it can say it can <laughs> sound, can sound negative but it's it's very true and yeah it's like I mean when you think about like bullying and like you know bystanders like you know, a hundred people in a crowd can be watching something terrible or like violence going down and no one does a thing, but a second one person decides to not be a sheep, mm. that's when 50 more people mm. jump in. But it always takes that first person to kind of break the sheepness. Mm. <laughs> so don't be a sheep or only be a sheep when it's healthy. <laughs> be a healthy sheep. Healthy sheep. Be a shepherd. <laughs> well, on that note of interesting topics that we have covered this evening, uh, it's been my pleasure to, to chat with you, Max. Thank you for your time and all the best with your work that you're doing in, in Uganda and uh, helping to you know develop and kickstart the, the XR scene over there. And and obviously everything that you're you're doing with uh with, with fashion. Uh, you know, helping to, to push that forward as well. It's been really lovely to chat to you.